Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera News Updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, Sandy Garasino. Hey, Jesse Brown. Former Crown prosecutor and journalist with the National Observer. It is always a pleasure to have you here. Great to be here. Sandy, today we are going to talk about the news. Hey, it turns out Jody Wilson-Raybould was right all along. How dare she? And we are going to talk about the debate over climate change. Somehow there still is one, and now we're not allowed to have it. Maybe. Glad to have you back. Great to be here. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Amelia Wilding, Rob Wall, Robert St. Aubin, Imola Rika Ilias, Madeline Deneen, Ali Rodney, Anna Ward, and Sarah. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I'm an arts administrator living in Newmarket, Ontario. I support Canada Land because it's important to have independent reporting to keep the pulse on the Canadian media industry. With its weekly regular episodes and shortcuts, Thunder Bay, Oppo, and Wag the Dog, Canada Land is providing accessible, quality journalism that helps me feel more engaged in the world around me. I don't always agree with Jesse, but I appreciate his fervor for holding the media accountable and appreciate the range of voices that have been part of this season's lineup of guests and hosts. It's essential listening for my commute. Canada's ethics commissioner has found the Prime Minister violated the Conflict of Interest Act and that he did seek to improperly influence then-Attorney General and Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould to intervene in a criminal prosecution case involving SNC-Lavalin. heard from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau today doubling down on no apology. One day after the ethics commissioner ruled, he violated conflict of interest rules in the SNC-Lavalin controversy. Justin Trudeau says he accepts the report that says he broke the law. But then he says he won't apologize because what he did was in the public interest. How can the Prime Minister of Canada breaking the law be in the public interest? Sandy, we're going to talk about the ethics commissioner's report. I I, I think I want to just like 
note that it was your very powerful and clear writing about the SNC-Lavalin scandal that really helped clarify my thoughts, helped me understand the stakes of the story in the first place, writing some time ago in the National Observer, when when a lot of people were saying to me, you know, like, what's the big deal? There's nothing to see here. What did you expect? This is business as usual between government and industry. You were the one who laid this out for me. Like, what, what, what SNC-Lavalin actually is? This company with this wretched history of corruption all around the world, this company that whined and dined and bribed some of the worst despots in the world. And, and you know, what what's still is in my head from that article of yours is that image of Saadi Gaddafi wearing a red SNC-Lavalin branded soccer jersey and, and seeing that and then reading about how this is a guy who had his thugs open fire on a crowd of sports fans who, who, who booed a referee who supported Saadi Gaddafi. Like, that's our guy. That's SNC-Lavalin's guy. They gave him millions of dollars. They bought him parties with sex workers. And they did it here. I mean, this is a company that you don't have to go around the world to find their corruption. You know, they're doing it in Montreal, the hospital. They, this is a company that isn't allowed to build bridges in Bangladesh. They're banned from bidding on those contracts, but they're given like a white glove treatment by like not just Canada, but like our prime minister. Jobs, jobs, jobs. Yeah, jobs, <laughs> jobs, jobs. So that that's informed my whole process, my whole uh, attitude towards this thing. So thank you uh, for, for that. I don't think people remember that. I don't think we can say it enough that that's what this is actually about. Even to this day, we are still arguing about it as if those things weren't such a huge part of the picture and as if corruption doesn't hit first, last, and hardest the vulnerable and the weak. And who was more vulnerable and weaker than the people of Libya under the jackboot of the Gaddafi regime? Uh, and, and these were all circumstances that were part of the public record. It's not like you needed to be especially informed. Any major company doing business in Libya knew about these uh, circumstances. Well, I mean, th- that is the backdrop to this, and it's easy to forget it. I mean, you know, this has sort of been on ice for a while, but then it got kind of shocked back into the system last week. And, I mean, to put the, the, what happened last week in context as well, as far as I can tell from people watching this, it really came as a surprise that the ethics commissioner acted so quickly and so unequivocally. Like, like you know, this is this will ring familiar to a lot of people. Here we have the person who inhabits the highest elected office in the nation accused of serious wrongdoing, and we're waiting for a report that will give us some clarity. Was he wrong? Did he break the law or didn't he? And the report comes out. It is it makes no bones about it in stronger language than anyone was, when, was, was anticipating. He broke the rules and it, it contains a, a lot of shocking new revelations about just the extent to which he was teaming up with SNC-Lavalin. Uh, they were working. They had information that they were sharing that they weren't giving to Jody Wilson-Raybould. There, there are revelations in this report that show, I think, that, you know, when Trudeau said things like, uh, oh, if Jody Wilson-Raybould had a problem, she should have come to me. Well, now we know that she did. This is a big deal. And what we do on this show is talk about the media response to this. And I don't know. It feels like, meh, we're already over it. We're on to other things. What, what did you make of the response? All of the above, in a way. And one of the other things that really stood out in my mind was the whole retired Supreme Court of Canada club and them having their sway and then and the retired clerk of the Privy Council the just open wide open lane and to me clearly inappropriate communications and discussions and actually um, Anne McClellan's report on this gives in some ways 
the best without addressing the particulars of this case in some ways she gives the the very best critique of how communications on sensitive prosecutions should be proceeding at the same time you know and i think that people just are intent on seeing this through their own lenses this is a troubled one for me because actually one of the critiques that has been published and has had a, a wide uh, wide circulation amongst the the liberal defenders actually has a lot of to me has a certain persuasive value not in the sense that I think that the it exonerates the prime minister or the PMO or the clerk of the Privy Council in any way because in my view it doesn't they absolutely violated the independence uh, of the uh, Attorney General. Errol Mendez was writing in iPolitics, and I think he's also written in The Star and also in the New York Times, essentially the same argument. He contends that the commissioner exceeded his jurisdiction and, and improperly applied the Conflict of Interest Act to the actions of the Prime Minister. And I actually must say that I think that there's some weight to this. Mendez, who is a law professor at the University of Ottawa, is saying... Actually, prime ministers and the political sector all the time look at the national economic interest or the particulars of job losses in different industries in addressing policy and that there's nothing wrong with that, which is essentially what Dion is saying in his ruling. And I think there's some uh, weight to this because I think that the real problem with what the Prime Minister did wasn't that Jody Wilson-Raybould was a cabinet minister exercising some discretion. As a pure cabinet minister, it's totally fair game for the Prime Minister to uh, give directions. But she was acting in her role, a quasi-judicial role, as the Minister of Justice, as the Attorney General of Canada, in which case he can't. And that distinction, I don't think, was really met that much. But Having said all that, I still think it was totally improper. I still think that the Prime Minister uh, needs to apologize and that certain individuals, like the people giving legal advice inside the Prime Minister's office, uh, should be gone uh, because their their advice was terrible. But see, I feel like you're skipping a few steps, as valid as all that is, and, and recognizing that you're a lawyer who is going to get into the finer points of this. I mean, there's a place for a discussion as to whether the ruling was right in its holy shit findings. I mean, of course, we should be discussing that and experts should be weighing in on that. But we skip the part where we say, holy shit. Yep. And we skip the part like this story should have legs. Like there are questions for Beverly McLaughlin. There's questions for these retired Supreme Court justices. This is yep. that's how scandals work. The more you learn, you take the questions elsewhere. And the media, the political media, who I think, you know, their jobs depend on this, you know, somewhat naive notion that like it's good for citizens to care about politics. It seems like. I don't know. To some extent, the coverage, there was copious coverage, but the tone of it to me felt like it was trying to say like, meh, like here, show, here's some headlines. Globe and Mail. This is, you know, coverage writ large, opinions and, and, and reported pieces. Liberal bid to play down election impact of ethics report on SNC-Lavalin working reasonably well for now. <laughs> Sounds like the New York Times. <laughs> Like what the hell is that? Like like I you like I'm bored at the level of the headline. Toronto Star. Halifax MPs defend Justin Trudeau despite report on ethics violation. Oh, that's nice. CBC. Trudeau versus Dion. How the PM and ethics commissioner differ on the SNC Lavalin affair. I mean, you couldn't make this stuff more boring if you tried and it's a kind of a big deal. 
It is a big deal, and I agree with that. And I do feel that the media is showing colors through this. The National Post or the Post Media publications are showing colors, and and the Globe and the Star are showing colors. Uh, and it it is an an outrage how this all was conducted, and the revelations are outrageous. And I and I do feel that certain publications are toning this down. It's so strange that that it that would it would be our role to tone it down. I mean, usually the the accusation of the media is like you're you're inflating this, you're making too much of this. So here's my second complaint about the coverage. Too much of it was about trying to handicap the question of like what is the political impact? Basically predicting will Canadians care right off the bat. Here it is, will Canadians care instead of should they care? Yes. And why should they care? And and I'll I'll, I'll back that up. Here's the globe uh, headline, will Justin Trudeau skate through the latest SNC storm? Uh, the Toronto Star ethics reports damning findings are a first for a sitting prime minister. But is it enough to take Trudeau down? Again in the Star, in wake of SNC-Lavalin report, economy is still top federal election issue in Alberta. And uh, CBC, will the SNC-Lavalin scandal turn off voters? W- again, what is our role here? So, Jess, Jesse, let me let me ask you a question. You've been um, inside the media actually much more than I have. I am a, a mere opinion columnist, but you've got a little bit more uh, sense of how this how the sausage is is made in these things. What is, is it that the media outlets that these have these platforms decided that this is the best way to get clicks? What is driving this kind of approach? Because I must say. It really, really frustrates me, especially on matters of um, ethics and not just ethics, but moral uh, conduct on the part of the prime minister and the prime minister's office. This this is I really couldn't give a patoot about what the polls <laughs> say and what the public says. Why are they going this way? First of all, the reports of, of the media's click hungriness are wildly exaggerated. I mean, Reporter to reporter, the idea that everyone is just going for that story, when in fact a lot of times reporters, are, or especially opinion people, uh, are, are kind of trying to showcase just how savvy they are more than anything and, and, and kind of how they've seen it all. I do feel like the criticism that political reporting has gotten too slanted towards the horse race and has lost touch with why should this stuff be important in the first place and connecting with people is how do politics affect you, not who's going to win. That's that's a complaint about political reporting throughout the Western media, you know, Canada is not alone. But I'm as perplexed as you are about this. I mean, you know, a a scandal this good doesn't come along that often. And you think that people would be making a meal out of it. But I saw almost immediately, you know, Justin Ling, who hosts uh, Oppo, which I always learn something from and rarely agree with either of the hosts of, uh, almost instantly... He was saying this is a big nothing, and, and and Justin Ling, of course, should you know be made to wear forever that he thought this was nothing from the start. He thought that the scandal would live and die back in February. Uh, he's saying no one's going to care about this because the ethics commissioner is an obscure figure, and nobody's nobody's hanging on what this guy has to say. Nobody's even heard of him. Who gives a shit whether or not you know the name of the ethics commissioner? That's not the point. But there is kind of an element here, isn't there, that it's cool to be cynical. 
Yeah. Like that it's not cool to to go for rage or in, inflammation. And there is so much rage and outrage and so much of it is undeserved that when we actually get something that, that deserves it, we we don't know we don't know what to do with it. I, I feel like there's a couple of factors here. One is just the Canadian thing, which is that we just don't take ourselves seriously. People just sort of treat this like you know, as if you, you you caught the student council president taking an extra twenty dollars out of the the you know the fund for the, the semi formal, and people are like, ah, give him a break. What did you expect? You're gonna fuck <laughs> this up, and we're not gonna even have a semi formal if you keep whining about this. You know, don't make a big stink about this. And, and, and you know, that's the part that really galls me is like, some of the same people like the pushback I'm getting uh, to, to just saying like, wow, like just on a level of like, Trudeau was her boss. And we now know, like, what a shitty boss. He should apologize to her, you know? Like, he's out there getting his underlings to smear her reputation. He's saying, he's denying the story, lying about the story being true. Then he's saying, she should have come to me if she had a problem. Now we know that he did. You know, he says, I'm kicking her out of uh, out of caucus uh, because I can't trust her anymore. Like, like, just apologize to this person. You know, we, now we know. Her story from the start is, dude... You're 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 breaking the rules. Stop it. Her account of the circumstances has been consistent and corroborated. Whatever you think about the recording of the telephone call, and I take that with a like that's a problem for me, but it's it doesn't it doesn't outweigh all the other circumstances, and it corroborates in every important detail, everything that she has said, and that the ethics commissioner. Found, despite the ruling, what was actually most damning about the ethics commissioner's report was the facts that he found. All this other stuff, this carrying on, going behind the scenes. And I was actually really shocked when I put my piece out that did go very widely how much pushback came from people that I would have expected would recognize the seriousness and the gravity of what has transpired. I don't know if you're getting the, the, the uh, feedback I'm getting, but the feedback I'm getting is like, shut up, you're going to get sheer elected. Like, as if that's my role. From her point of view, there's still people who are out there saying, oh, this was a cynical ploy on her part from the start. To what end? You know, he's still a coin flip away from keeping his job as prime minister. She'll be lucky to get reelected as an independent MP. Her level of power, you know, like, and then what? Like, where do you go from there? Her political career, you know, before all this happened, before he made this happen, was golden. She was, she, she was like, you know, she, maybe one of the top people in line for the Liberal Party leadership. And now she's out in the wilderness before this deferred prosecution agreement thing, which you're right that her story was consistent from the start. And now we know she was right to say you're breaking the rules. And people are saying, oh, she's the villain here. Sandy, I could go on and on. When people get mad at her for recording the call, I, as a journalist, find that so weird. If she hadn't done these things, we would never know. Like, you don't want to know? Like, like people are saying, like, she never should have made a fuss. If she never made a fuss, we wouldn't have known about any of this. It's so weird to me to hear citizens saying, I'd rather not know. Mm -hmm. This was better before I knew. I can't get behind that. You know, I think the partisan element of this is just so strong. I still think that journalists and the media have a responsibility to highlight this. But how much is this going to play after... Um, after August and, and after the summer, as we get into the, you know, the parties are trying to keep it going, which is part of the whole problem. But I'm happy to see the committees do their work and, and as they should do their work. And the one thing that I would have to say about Jody Wilson-Raybould recording that call, and I'm very uncomfortable with it for all the obvious reasons, but I would say one other thing. 
look at how she was treated before anybody knew that the call was recorded. She was being personally attacked when she was not making personal attacks. She was making statements about what happened. And I would suggest to listeners that as an Indigenous woman, she knows that if she doesn't bring the evidence, that she's not going to be believed. Certainly not over the Prime Minister. Great point. Look at look at the sleazy character she was up against, you know? And then she's supposed to fight with both hands tied behind her back. Like, come on. I get it. Vote vote for whoever you want to vote for. I'm going to vote for who... Like, sometimes you got to make a grown-up choice and you got to vote for somebody who disgusts you because they're not as bad as the other person who disgusts you. Welcome That's to politics. <laughs> and welcome to Canada. But, but there's a difference between that and, like... Actually, and this is how corruption works. We started talking about corruption, like low grade corruption is when you start defending that person, like let's ignore the bad stuff they did. And let's let's shut up people who want to make a big deal about that, because not only do I have to hold my nose and vote for this person, but I got to make damn sure that everybody else does, too. And that's when they've got you. And that's, you know, like, then they can do anything. But Jesse, let me ask you this. How much do you think that that is what we see on social media? Because as we know, social media is the outrage engine. It's the, it's, it, it's the perpetual outrage motion machine. And I, and I wonder how much of what we're talking about here is really, um, a response to social media. Well, I, I think that that's that's very valid, too. And the last time when everyone was trying to downplay this, it turned out that people really cared about it. And, you know, whether or not you're into the details of this, I don't think anybody is looking at the guy the same way or can again. So I think there's sort of the public will have a voice that is larger than, you know, the backlash that you and I receive on Twitter for just sort of, I don't know, talking about true things. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world. And BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, 
along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. Sandy Garcino, sometimes there are news stories that people should be taking uh, more notice of than they than they do. And that is why we have Duly Noted on this show. Do you have something you'd like to share today? I do, I do. Over the weekend, we saw these protests. I'm Toronto had them and Vancouver had them. Very, very uh, major protests about what's happening in Hong Kong and about China's activity around that. And I see that, and this was first broken on a news site in Vancouver called The Breaker, and also reported in the South China Morning Post, where worshippers at a Vancouver church who were holding a prayer, the church was surrounded by upwards of a 100 mainland Chinese counter-protesters who were being very intimidating and, and very bullying, and the police had to be called to, to get the um, the Hong Kong supporting people out of the church. And I think that we need to have a, a much wider discussion in the media about just exactly how this is playing out here in Canada and how we're going to deal with this as a, from a law enforcement point of view and from a media point of view, because this, this huge issue is coming here big time. Duly noted. I would like to duly note some wonderful work that is being done uh, by a couple different organizations. Uh, Ryan Thorpe for the Winnipeg Free Press infiltrated a neo-Nazi group called The Base in order to uh, expose them and uh, in fact has exposed the fact that one Patrick Matthews, a master corporal in the Army Reserves, this guy has been promoted within the Army Reserve, he is a trained explosives expert and he is trying to start neo-Nazi terrorist cells in Canada and I think at great uh, risk to his personal safety, Ryan Thorpe uh, posed as uh, an interested Nazi uh, applicant and, and met this uh, scumbag in person and uh, has told us the, the story about it. And, uh, and now the army is responding. Similar story from Mac Lamaru in Vice, uh, working with Ben McCoo in Nova Scotia. So we have a Nazi problem and we have a Nazis with guns problem in Canada. And some journalists are telling us about it and their work needs to be... Red. Duly noted applaudits for Ryan Thorpe, Mac Lamaru, and Ben McCoo for the work that they're doing. This is tremendous work. It's important work, and I hope Canadians are all taking note. Okay, Sandy, here's the, uh, the headline as reported by the National Post. Elections Canada warns environment groups that calling climate change real could be considered partisan. You know, talking about outrage bait, this is a headline, this story that you've got Elections Canada telling Canadians that we can't simply recognize the fact that climate change is real in certain instances because Maxime Bernier denies this, denies climate science, and therefore it is a partisan issue. And therefore Elections Canada can limit some aspect of free expression outraged a lot of people. When I read a headline that makes me so mad, well, my first reflex is to get mad. And my second reflex is like, wait a second, is this what it appears to be? Sandy, is this what it appears to be? Nope. There's a lot more nuance to this story and everyone should calm down. It's going to be okay. The charities are going to be okay. Uh, and if anything, 
we should be concerned about media creating a chill by hyping fears about what the charities might get in hot water for. I've looked into this with charity and tax experts, and it's going to be fine. What is it? What, what, what is actually there? Here's the reason that probably especially the environmental charities are so concerned because, of course, they've gone through the uh, uh, scorching experience of spending years under audit that cost, in many cases, uh, probably cumulatively millions of dollars up to the charities. And the Canadian, the CRA paid over three, $13 million uh, investigating the charities for political activity. And that is the backdrop for the new legislation that the Liberal government brought in last December. These are the Harper, this is the Harper attacks on charities where he basically audited every charity that was fighting for something he didn't like. In particular, the environmental charities that were trying to limit expansion of oil sands. This was uh, an extremely draconian perspective and we're seeing echoes of that in with Jason Kenney in Alberta. Uh, right now. So this is a sector that is hypersensitive and they have reason to be hypersensitive. The backdrop is the federal government actually brought in new legislation last December that allows charities to, uh, as long as it's in the, uh, the due purpose, the legal purpose of the charity, they are allowed to advocate in the public realm on political issues. What they cannot do is anything partisan. So here is where things got a little bit electrified. The CRA determines what is allowed and or what what is partisan or um, disallowed partisan activity. We, charities are not allowed to take part in any partisan activity directed toward a candidate or a party, either supporting or negative. Elections Canada is saying Oh, if you're going to be advertising more than $500, uh, either in the pre-election or election period, uh, about an issue that is a, um, a matter that has been raised by a party, you might fall under the Elections Act guidelines and we want you to register. And there's an extra leap there that you might be deemed to be partisan. That seems to be overplaying what's going on. The registration requirements are reasonable and what the tax and charity lawyers are saying is that the CRA and the Elections Canada requirements don't tie together at all. The CRA is not going to be uh, swayed or influenced by Elections Canada requirements over registering advertised material. I am lost. Uh, let me look oh at this dear, I'm sorry. of a group. <laughs> No, this is about policy, uh, and and obviously the way that it got summarized the first time around uh, led to some overreactions. So, what is the actual you know rub for for a group? If I'm a group, I'm an environmentalist group. Facts are facts. Uh, we we have a problem. It's not a you know from from our perspective, the group exists. People give us money to get out there and raise the issues and and we're going to talk about we and we're going to buy ads because you can't get the media to give a damn about this stuff in a lot of cases so we're going to buy ads about how climate change is real and it's man made and we got to do something about it and is somebody from government going to tell me you can't do that no okay is a charity going to lose her charitable status if they're a charity that is advocating for you know, like, you know, against the apocalypse? Uh, like, is, is, is that an issue that this raises? <laughs> no. So what the hell? 
Is this a big nothing? Like I say, this is all because regulators and perhaps somebody misspoke or took a more more expansive view of how the Elections Act uh, operates to describe that that ads taken out by registered charities about climate change might be considered by Elections Canada to be uh, registrable material, depending on what positions the candidates take. And you're saying big deal, go ahead and register if that's the case. Just, Just go ahead and register. And don't be afraid that by registering, you're going to uh, get, you're going to lose your charitable status from the CRA. Those two things are totally independent of each other. You're not. I, I think that this is a completely diffused story at this point. Like there, like, like there is no story is really my takeaway from what you're telling me right now. Yes, and Elections Canada has stepped out and, and, and offered more clarity, but I'm, I'm especially um, uh, reassured. There have been two points of clarification. In one point of clarification, Elections Canada came out and said, well, we're going to look at this on a case-by-case basis, so you know, that should be reassuring. That's not reassuring to groups that have already uh, suffered enormously under the the four years of audits that were going on. But then when the chief electoral officer, Stephen Perot, came out uh, on Tuesday and, and cleared things up. And, I, and, I, and then again, other commentators, I take a special reassurance from people like Margaret Mason in Vancouver and people like Mark Bloomberg, who operates the Global Philanthropy uh, website, and he's got some very good materials on this. For anybody who's in the charitable sector who is concerned, go to the Global Philanthropy site and check out what what Mark has to say there. Sandy, why do you think this was perceived to be the uh, intrusion on freedom of expression uh, that it was perceived to be? And, and actually, it had the effect of handing Maxime Bernier a win and some publicity that I'm sure he was grateful for when he was uh, given the, the opening to say, hey, we here at the People's Party of Canada are all about free speech and uh, we're against this Elections Canada nonsense. And, and everyone was very distracted by this. And, and now now there's the second round of stories that, that are essentially telling me that this was, there was no there there to begin with. Well, I think that, you know, we in the media and everybody who's sort of politically, you know, all the everybody who's inside the bubble, all the all us junkies have been very, very primed to be concerned about this. And so anything that touches on the potential for CRA to move in and swoop in and cancel charitable status is going to get headlines. And I and I just think that you know it takes a certain degree of expertise to to wade through it, and maybe in the rush to get a quick report, you know, the, it, this really was driven by the environmental charities and by uh, I think environmental defense, which uh, really was hit hard by the CRA originally and and was able to retain their charitable status or was going to be stripped of it. And then we've got Jason Kenney, of course, and his war room. So it's, I mean, the atmosphere is charged around this. But actually, the biggest message here that most people should be getting is that charities have been unleashed to operate freely in the public realm and to advocate freely in the public realm as corporations have always had that freedom and as individuals have had that freedom. And this is a huge victory for the charitable sector. This is the first time during an election that charities would have been able to do this at all. So I'm actually 
I, so it's actually a good news story. Not only is this not the terrible thing that we thought initially, but on closer examination, you know, this is actually a pretty good story about uh, the nonprofit sector being able to operate freely. All right, let's 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 take that from it. You know what? I, I also couldn't ignore the uh, the context of the debate we're having around ads as speech and politics as speech, frankly, because now that we've kind of made this menace out of divisive content and out of the you know the, the this sort of specter of fake news and the idea that there's foreign actors you know who are just pumping us with the ads that are trying to make us angry, the effect of that because actually our public realm is dictated by private companies, they've just been downgrading in their algorithm or just outright banning all kinds of speech. And that's not at the level of us actually having like a, a, a governmental policy conversation because they're private platforms on Twitter and Facebook and they can do what they want. And it's having all, you know, it's all automated as well. So when Canada Land does something like publish a major investigation into post media and the headline has to do with post media taking a right a turn to the right that is perceived by Facebook's algorithm as political speech and it is downgraded. And when we try to put some money against that content to make sure the story gets up there, they reject the ad because it gets classified as political speech. So, you know, we can worry about elections, Canada suppressing our freedom of expression, and it can take us a good week to get to the bottom of that and find out that that's not the case. But every day, as soon as I brought this up, people were dozens of, of examples of people put, trying to put content in, to the public conversation on these platforms and and having it you know somehow throttled or rejected outright, uh, essentially the platforms that we operate our conversation on have have decided that political speech is not what they want to be uh, giving top status to or or any status to. And on an issue, I mean, there isn't a more pressing um, moral imperative that we have in the world today than climate change, and for this, it is now political. You know, now this is a partisan issue and it's really distressing, especially on these social media platforms. And, you know, I remember when um, the Edward Snowden uh, issue happened and all of the hue and cry over the NSA and, and what the U.S. government was doing doesn't hold a patch to what Facebook, to the capacity that Facebook and Google uh, have built and, and other platforms too in terms of throttling and suppressing uh, free expression uh, by citizens. And we've got ourselves a real pickle. Sandy, thank you very much. This was a good, this was an interesting day for August. We've got some real meaty subjects here for the middle of the dog days of summer. I don't take a powder in August. I can get mad about anything anytime. <laughs> um, it's good to have you here. Thanks for having me on. Everybody, uh, that's your Canada Land Shortcuts. You can email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. And I, I'm going to read everything you send. Uh, our Twitter account, if you're into that, is at Canada Land. Sandy, where can people find you? They can find me uh, on Twitter at Garacino and, and in the pages of the National Observer. Our website is CanadaLandShow.com. You can read our story about post media and the big changes there. You can read it on our website because you might not be able to find it on Facebook. You can also find the last episode of this season of Commons. Uh, Archie Mann has been looking at crude, the effect of the energy industry on Canadian life in all kinds of unexpected ways. They're going out with a bang. Uh, the final episode has to do with uh, the climate change apocalypse now. What is happening with weather now? This episode features uh, canoe thieves. Spoiler alert, they are not stealing canoes. 
This episode is produced by Tiffany Lamb. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like what we do, if, if you like our podcast, if you listen to our podcast, if our news stories tell you things that you are glad that you know, uh, you got to know that the only way we're able to do this is because people support us at patreon.com slash We could use your support. 